Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. As I was watching the video, I thought, my, 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 how fortunate we are. And how many of you were involved in the, the uh, water crisis at, uh, in Mount Vernon this week? Anybody? Wasn't that, wasn't that awful? You got that? It, it was so awful that you just had to sit at home and wait for them to send you more water instead of walking and spending 11 hours <laughs> as these ladies did that we saw in the, in, the, uh, in the video. We don't realize how good we really have it and how blessed that we really are. When I was still working, and uh, I've been retired about almost five years now, by the way, but when I was still working, I worked up at Engineered Fluids up in, in the north end of town here, and uh, every once in a while, the owner would come up with some crazy idea that he would pass down to his supervisors, and, and his supervisors would have to carry out these things, and we all thought they was really stupid. But he had, an, he had an idea, he was the boss, so whatever the boss says goes, right? Yeah. Anyway, I was working one morning, and I just got there, and my boss came up to me, and he said, Ray, what's your goal for today? He said, we have to set a goal every morning for what we're going to get done today. So, Ray, what is your goal for today? And I was only a couple of years from retirement, and I said, my goal is to go home tonight unhurt. <laughs> no, 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 Ray. He said, I need to have an idea of where you plan to be at the end of the day. I said, at the time clock. <laughs> no, no, he said, you don't, you don't understand. Billy Goodspeed wants us to write down for each individual their goal for today. And I said, I told you what my goal is, and you can tell Billy that that's what my goal is. Well, he kind of looked at me kind of cross, uh, give me that kind of a cross look. I was going to say cross-eyed, but he was, he's blind in one eye anyway. But he said, Ray, where do you plan to be on your job at the end of the day? How far do you expect to get on your project? So I looked at him, and I gave him about half of what I thought I could get done. And he said, that's better. He said, don't make me go through this every day. And I said, well, don't come and ask me that question every day. So <laughs> shortly after we went through the goal thing for about a month, and, and everybody was giving him the same answer, they started evaluations. Anybody ever went through the evaluations at, at work? Yeah, you all have. You all know what I'm talking about. As, as pastors, we, every once in a while, the church will want to give us a vote of confidence, or, or maybe they're mad at us, and they said, we, we need to have a vote of confidence, and then you don't come to this business meeting because we want to be able to vote our hearts. And some people might vote against you, some, but anyway... 
One, th one of the things that whenever my boss started these evaluations was the first thing out of his mouth was, Ray, how do you think you're doing here at EFI? And I said, I don't know. And I said, I try to do the best I can with what I'm provided to work with and try to do, give you a decent day's work. <laughs> and by the way, uh, I'm a country music fan, and, and uh, uh, the Zach Brown band come out with a song about uh, six months before I retired, and it says, I'm in no hurry today. And I said, that's my theme song. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, he always, the first thing that they ask was, how do you think you're doing? And then you, you tell him how you think you're doing. And, I was, and then he starts in, and he says, well, those are true, but... Don't you hate that? Here's some things that we need, we think you need to work on. And give their list of what they think should be improved. If you have your Bibles, turn to Micah, the sixth chapter. And as I was reading this chapter <coughs> this week and thinking about the message for today, it's kind of like God is giving us an evaluation. He's asking us, and he's asking the people of Israel, actually, there through Micah. And by the way, if you can't find Micah, find Jonah. It's real right around in there somewhere. You know, we all know the story of Jonah and the big fish, or Jonah and the whale. And, but a lot of times we look over some of these minor prophets that have some very good things in them. And God talks, starts out here in verse 1. And he says, Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your cries before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Us as Christians, what do we have to complain about? I sat there and I thought, what do I have to complain about? I was sitting there at my desk, and it was hot outside. My air conditioner was working. I flipped the switch, and my lights come on. I turned my computer on to my study guides and, and all that stuff that I use and all the helps that I use as, I, as the references and commentaries that I read and, uh, for the sermons. Sitting there in my easy chair with a big Cubs emblem on my headrest. <laughs> what do I have to complain about? I don't have to make a house payment anymore. God has blessed me beyond all measure. What do I have to complain about? And God, through Micah, says, tell the people to, to take their complaints and cry out to the mountains. What do we have to complain about? We complain because some of you had to do without a little bit of water for a day or two. Whenever we saw this video where they were having to spend uh, 11 to 14 hours a day just getting water. So what do we have to complain about? What can we complain to God and say, God, you're not doing this for me? We have nothing. We have nothing. Nothing at all to complain about. If I have anything to complain about, it's because I have too much food. 
I have too much. I always tell Kay, you give us way too many choices when she cooks. Bless her heart. I, I love that woman to death. But when the kids come over, we have meatloaf. We have chicken. <laughs> we have hamburger. We have mashed potatoes and fried potatoes. We have baked beans. We have salad. We have too much. And I'm sitting there at my table thinking, I wonder what I want to eat today. I narrow it down to what's the most odd food that we have that I'm not going to have whenever the kids aren't here. God has blessed us beyond what we deserve. They had nothing to complain about. Verse 2 says, Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint and you strong foundations of the earth for the Lord has a complaint against his people and he will contend with Israel oh God's not happy with us that's a strange thought I thought God was always happy with the things that we done I always thought that what we everything we done pleases God but he told the children of Israel, he says, I have a complaint. In other words, in, in our evaluation with our boss, God, he, he says, you're doing good, but what are we really doing for God? When we leave this place, what are we really doing for God? You see... Being a Christian doesn't just entail an hour or two on Sunday morning and an hour on Wednesday. It entails the entire week. And every, every day that we live, we should be praising God. The first thing when we wake up of a morning should be, Thank you, Lord. But he still has some things to complain about. And he complains because we complain. That's one of his biggest complaints. Because we say, we don't have this or we don't have that. And God says, I've provided you everything that you need. You don't need any more. You just want more. <laughs> I get a magazine every week. Matter of fact, I got one, or every couple of weeks. And matter of fact, I got one yesterday. It's called the Auto Roundup. I don't know whether you've ever seen it or not. <coughs> but it is a little magazine about this big. And, and it is full of... Cars for sale. And then I'll sit down and I'll read, look through that thing, and it's got pictures too. And that's, that's, that's the reason I read it so, so much, because it's got pictures. And some of them are even in color. <laughs> and I'll tell Kay, I said, wow, we need this. And she'll say, no, we don't. You just want that. And I'll flip through a couple more pages and there'll be something there that catches my eye and say, oh, I need that. No, you don't. <laughs> Her favorite thing is, how many cars can you drive at one time? <laughs> and I said, any of them that I want to. <laughs> but we complain and think that we're in need, but we're really not. Verse 3 goes on and says, oh, my people... And this is God speaking. He said, 
what have I done to you and how have I worried you? He said, testify against me. If there's anything that you have against me, he said, I want to hear it. I want to know right now what you think that, that, that you have or you have been uh, mistreated in any way by God. God has never mistreated anyone because he loves us all individually and he loves us all the same. God has no favorites. Just because you're the preacher or the deacon or the trustee in God's eyes, you're no better than the janitor or the pew sitter or the singer or the one sitting at home not being able to get to church who really wants to. God loves us all the same. He said, what, he said, what, what do you have? He said, testify against me. He said, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he said, I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent, you, sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. He said, oh, my people, remember now what Balak, the king of Moab, counseled. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Asasa uh, Grove to Gilgad that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. I'm not going to go into all of those things, but he was delivered. He delivered the people in every situation. Now, we kind of shift gears here between verses 4 and 5. And the people begin to flee. Well, what do you want us to do? What should we do? He said, with that, shall I come with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? What do you want? What shall I come to make things better, God? What do I need to do? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn? Well, I'm glad I'm the youngest. For my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. said, what do you want? What do you want? <coughs> and by the way, if you go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 19, verse 5, uh, Jeremiah says, they have also built the high, in, uh, let me back up. They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire and for burnt offerings to Baal. They've done that. Believe it or not, some people give their firstborn to Baal. But he said, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. You see, God does not want your firstborn. Amen? He does not need your money. I'll hear this one from the deacons. <laughs> the church needs your money. And God said to give to the church. He said, bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouse. And believe it or not, we are the storehouse in the modern day church. And he said, you bring that. You bring your 10%. I better get that so the deacons don't get on me. He said, you bring your 10% to the storehouse so that we can provide for the church. 
He doesn't want rams. He doesn't want burnt offerings. He wants something very more important to us than the things that we possess. You see, in the very next verse, verse 8, and this is where I've been working up to. Verse 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And notice that word require. It's not an option. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? To do justly. That's kind of a broad statement. What is it, does it mean to do justly? Well, with my limited vocabulary and education, it's the opposite of doing unjustly. Doing justly is doing right. And believe it or not, we know right from wrong, or most of us should, because our parents taught us. Amen? How many of your parents said, it's okay to do wrong things? It's okay to be mean? It's okay to beat up on your brother? Man, I'm glad my mom and dad taught us different than that. (laughs) But they teach us, our parents taught us to do right. Right by each other. And they taught us that (coughs) being a kind person is being right. Being polite. And and I get get so aggravated when I go to the drive-up. I don't go to McDonald's, but then I go to the drive-up to get me something to eat once in a while. And I give them my money after they take my order, and they just hand it back to you and shut the window. I want to go, you're welcome. (laughs) It's being right. It's treating each other with respect. And treating each other with love. Now it's easy for us to love inside these gray walls. Because we're all, or most of us, and I hope all of us are born again believers. And we come to worship collectively. And it's easy for us to love one another. But when we get out on the other side of the glass doors, is it so easy? When that girl at the, or guy, whichever it is, at, at the drive-up just slams the, the glass, is it easy to say, wow, I really love that person? Reminds me of a story that I used to, the church that I used to be involved in, and I pastored over in Iuka before I was at Bethel, we had a lot of uh, Southern Gospel singers come in and, and some very uh, highly named groups. And <clears throat> they would come up with their big bus, you know, their big Greyhound bus or their big motor home. And, and they always let it sit outside and idle. And I always wondered why they'd done that. But, you know, it was to keep the, the refrigerator cold and, and 
whatever they had in there, <laughs> uh, cool, and, and the bus was cool. And, but this guy told me, he said, you know, whenever I come home, and, and he said, I'm from down in Kentucky somewhere, and he said, whenever we come home about 2 o'clock in the morning, he said, I'm back on my bus in my driveway right between my house and my neighbor's house, and I know it makes a lot of noise. And, and every morning after that, he said, I know that my neighbor's going to come out and said, I heard you come in about 2 o'clock this morning. He said, you know, I love him just enough to get to heaven. We need to love people more than that. We need to love them because they have a soul that needs, if they're lost, that needs Jesus. And we need to treat them with the respect that they deserve. Now, to love mercy. How many of you love mercy? Come on, be honest. If you don't love mercy, you didn't get saved. If you don't love what, uh, not being charged for the sin that you have committed, then you're not saved because that's what Jesus done on the cross. He showed mercy to you and I by shedding his grace and forgiving our sins when we ask him and taking the sins to the cross and bearing our sins throughout all eternity. That's what true mercy is, amen? And we love it whenever we're on the receiving end of mercy. But how often do we show mercy? To that person at the drive-up. Do you show mercy when you bang on the window and say, Thank you or you're welcome. Or someone wrongs us. And we say, Get me once, shame on you. Get me twice, shame on me. Do we show mercy? If we really love mercy, we have to love both sides of it. We have to love to show mercy, give mercy, as well as receive mercy. And so many of us are really good at receiving, but not so good at giving. My friends, we need to show mercy to the ones out there who have wronged us. Now, I'm going to throw this in. God give us a memory for a reason. Not to be trampled on. But we need to show people mercy. You know, Jesus told Peter, he said, uh, I think it was Peter, when Peter said, how many times should I forgive them? And he said, 70 times 7. And that doesn't mean a number. But if you realize that 7 means complete. Now, one more, and I'm going to close. Because I've got a graduation to go to. And by the way, if, I don't, if I'm not out there when you, when you get ready to leave, I'm, I've got a graduation I've got to go to. And uh, besides that, uh, Mike said, good, you've got a graduation to go to. We won't preach very long. <laughs> and my cough drop's gone, so I'm, uh, I'm on overtime. <laughs> to walk humbly... With your God. This is what God requires. He requires us to walk humbly. Not boastfully. But he requires us to be just. And to love mercy. And he requires us to walk humbly 
with your God. Now, as I was studying this out, to walk humbly, one of the definitions that I got was to be passive and active, obedient toward God. Passive and active, obedience toward God. Let that soak in just a little bit. I play guitar, and as, as you all know, and some of the other things I try to do, but if, if you know anything about instruments, there's some amplifiers that you buy have two plugs for your guitar. One is passive and one is active. Now, I'm going to kind of explain that to you just a little bit because you all are looking at me like, so? <laughs> An instrument, and uh, I think these are all, these are all active, but an instrument that is passive, well, Kevin's is actually passive, is a, a guitar that doesn't have a 9-volt battery in it. It doesn't have an active pickup. And it just takes the sound that the instrument makes and amplifies it. In other words, there's nothing great. There's nothing that is expanded on a passive instrument. It's just the way it sounds. And that's all. It is accepting what the instrument can do. And if we are a passive, and, and I think we need to be passive somewhat, is accepting and God accepting the things that we can do just as we are. And God accepts us that way. He knows I can't preach like Brother Lee. He knows good and well I can't play the piano like Gary. He knows that I can't do a lot of things. And being passive doesn't give me the right to complain about it. I wish I could play the piano. I tell you what, I, I took lessons for a while, and kind of like my brother said whenever he took lessons for a while, the, the teacher said, why don't you just stay home tomorrow? <laughs> but being passive is accepting our role. Accepting what we can do. Accepting our limitations, mm -hmm. God accepts them. And we want to do more, but we have to accept it. So we're passive in that sense. But now, I really like the definition for active, too. You see, an, an instrument with, with an active electronics in it, you can change the knobs and change the, the, the entire tone of the instrument and make it something that it definitely never, ever sounded like. Have you ever heard the rock, the rock bands in that loud sound? You can do the same thing with a guitar with, with active electronics. It does things beyond what it's designed to do. 
And if we are going to be an active Christians, we need to stretch out and do things that, that uh, we aren't just told to do. You see, passive is doing the things that we're told to do. But we need to step out once in a while and do things and, and do them differently, but still in line with God's Word. But do them a little bit differently like we have never seen before. And Brother Ronnie is one of the best <laughs> at being active. Amen? Mm-hmm. Because we're all thinking, can we keep up? Huh. You see, the definition for active is doing things for an organization, cause, or campaign rather than simply giving one's support. Yes, we need to support the church. But my friend, I don't know of anyone who is called by God to just keep that one spot in that pew warm. You see, God has designed a life for you and you and you and you and me. And we need to be passive to accept that we can do so much, but we need to also be active in God's work, in the work of the church. You see, every church that I've ever been in always pleased for Sunday school teachers and nursery workers and people to visit and people to be in in different positions of the church. And everyone says, I really wasn't called to do that. What were you called to do? It's more than keep these pews warm. And if we're going to walk humbly before God, if we're going to do the things that he requires, then we have. We have. We cannot slack. We have to do justly. We have to love mercy. And we have to walk continually. Have you ever thought of what what walking really is? I love to watch a, a newborn or a young child that's just learning to walk. Do you realize that walking is just controlled falling? <laughs> right? That's all it is. Controlled falling. You lift one foot up, and you, hopefully you get that back down before you fall completely. And if we're going to walk for the Lord, just as a young child when they're learning to walk, they're going to fall. They're going to fail once in a while. But before long, they get it perfected. And I love those kids that don't really learn to walk. They learn to run. (laughs) That's what we need to be doing. So are you doing the things that God requires? Are you really? This verse told us. It's required. God expects it of. We're passive, but don't forget we need to be active as well. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tvccentralia.com forward slash next. 
You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 